This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. Hi, I'm Becca Barker, one of the organizers behind this year's AFX Animation Festival of Halifax. Welcome to Banana Fish, the official podcast of the 2019 AFX. This season, we're focusing on animation and labor. What kind of work is involved in animation? What motivates independent artists to take on such intense, painstaking work? And there are so many other questions. So today, we're going to be talking with Philip Stamp, creative director of Island of Misfits, an independent production company formerly DHX in Halifax. Um, hi, Philip. Hi, how are you? Is that introduction okay? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. <laughs> uh, we're also here with Linda Craig Mile, animation producer and also artist, I understand? Yes. Formerly uh, animator, probably 15, 20 years ago. So, yes. Well, welcome. Thank you. Great. It's so great to have both of you here. I know you have very, very busy schedules. Well, it's a pleasure to, to, to be here and be involved as much as we can. Unfortunately, I, I was a lot more... Well, well, I was a lot, not unfortunately, I was a lot more involved last year. And unfortunately, because the Island of Misfits is a new company uh, where we took over the animation studio from DHX back in December of last year, there's just a lot on our plates now to try and get that um, to a good, healthy place to make sure that... Uh, that that the animation industry here continues to thrive. So it's really exciting, though. What's um what's happening in and and sort of this new entity that's uh, arisen. Do you want to talk a little bit about about the company and what's happening there? It is very exciting. Uh, you know, in in many ways, it's uh, just a continuation of the studio that you know that ha has been there for well over a decade. But uh, as we're now really a, a new production company. With new leadership, there's a lot of uh, uh, there's a real push for us to create more original content and really look towards the the talent within the studio and within the community itself to help um, not to help generate that content, but really to be the inspiration behind it. The creators we're really looking to be a platform for uh, you know artists and creators to be able to use what we have to uh, to allow them um, a greater potential to tell the stories that they want to tell. And of course, that also includes, uh, you know, myself and a, a couple of other people in, in uh, you know, as the owners of the company, we obviously have our own stories that we want to tell as well and our own projects. But um, I think that the, the one of the biggest changes is that uh, we are really um, putting the spotlight back on the, the artists and the animators on our team to uh, to elevate them. That's really great. That's really exciting to hear. Um, it's kind of like if you've been creative at any point in your life, you kind of just can't help it, but you just, just keep being creative somehow. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. And what goes on in our local industry is such an important part of the overall you know, ecosystem creatively in Halifax, uh, I think. And that's part of why I love this festival so much is it does seem like one of those great places where the art and the industry actually play very, very well together. It doesn't always happen um, in terms of art generally. Um, and that's something I'm really grateful for. And I think that's just a beautiful thing for a city this size. Well, I think that's one of the benefits of Halifax only being the size that it is. I mean, it's a fairly, it's a good sized city, but at the same time, uh, it's not so big that, uh, you know, your paths don't cross with a lot of other 
uh, artists, you mm. know, and that includes, you know, not just musicians or not just animators, but musicians and dancers and, and, you know, theater people and everything like that. So it's, it's a, it's a lot easier to cross pollinate, um, in those circles than it is in some bigger places. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, Linda, how, how did you get involved in animation? Uh, well, I started 20 plus years ago in uh, Toronto. I've only been in Halifax just over two years. And I was wooed here and I love it here and I never <laughs> want to leave here. Excellent. But, <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, the team that I've worked with at uh, the studio are fantastic. It's a different dynamic than in a, coming from a bigger city. Um, in what way? Um, what makes the, it different? There's not as much um, turnover, people leaving, going to other studios. It's really people are passionate and staying in one place mm. and working really hard on one show because on one show you could have just so many people coming and going and the quality suffers for that. Mm. And I found here it's everyone's really dedicated to being on a show to the bitter end and they all work so hard. And it's nice to see mm. for sure. That's awesome. Um, well, both of you have been thoroughly involved in the industry here, um, you know, varying lengths of time and in different capacities. What what kinds of changes have you have you noticed? I mean, aside from your own company, but <laughs> what kinds of changes have you noticed, generally speaking, um, in in the time that you've been around? Specifically to Halifax, or just in general? Both. Uh, maybe start with Halifax, and then tell us how that relates to things generally. Um, I would say that the biggest change that I've seen, uh, and I've been here seven years that I've been here, and the biggest change that I've seen is that um, I think that Halifax is more, um, has, has had a lot more exposure. I think the animation studios that are here uh, have really made a mark um, that, uh, you know, there are, there are other companies out there um, who, um, I mean, t typically in animation, like spe and specifically, I'm talking about animate the type of animation content that we produce, which is for you know for television and typically for kids. And the way that that usually works is either the production company originates the concept, so you know there's somebody in the studio that either options a book or you know creates something original, and so you ha you have an original show. Or there's another um, company out there that has the idea but doesn't have the studio and so needs to to find a studio to work with. Mm -hmm. And what I've uh you know really seen is that those other uh big names, those those companies like Disney and Warner Brothers and the these bigger studios out there that have shows and are looking to get them produced by a top quality studio that they now actually do look to Halifax as being one of the first places that they're going to look because they know that the talent is here, which is really great. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. What kinds of things have you noticed? I know you've only been here a couple of years, you're saying, but um, has anything changed in the time you've been here? Um, not that I've noticed directly. I kind of like the other studios that are in the city that everyone, you know, shares their talent and if you know you get come to an end of a contract you always try and get other studios to, to let them know there's some great talent that's we have to let go you know mm -hmm. do you have any use for this person or that person so it's nice that everyone kind of really takes care of the artists in the city 
Mm. They want everyone to continue to work, which is great. That's one of the 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 fallbacks on this industry is it is contract based. Mm -hmm. So it's not like a full-time job, like at a bank or anything like that. So Mm -hmm. that's tough for people to get used to as an artist. I imagine that's a benefit for everybody though. If if you, you know, if a contract's ending and you can't, you don't have a reason to keep everybody you've got to make sure that there's, you know, you let other folks know or other companies know um, because there will be more in the future. And it's, it's, if you if you keep it going generally, like you're saying, I guess then more um, entities will keep looking towards Halifax. Just keep the momentum going overall. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and and so I mean, aside from aside from that sort of uh, what's been happening in recent years, like, do you think there are other qualities about Halifax that attract people here, or that attracts animation here? I don't know that specifically attracts animation here, but I mean, it is a very, um, it's a community that definitely respects artists. You know, it's a, um, you know, uh, I mean, and typically the East Coast has always had a, a great history of, of um, creation of, of art and artists, more in the music sector than anywhere else, I think, specifically. But, um, you know, you do have that sense of it being a creative place. Um, there's usually some kind of an event going on, and um, lots of uh, you know local theater is readily accessible. Live performances are you know of of different bands are pretty readily accessible, and even um, bigger um, bigger shows are you know this is not always uh, a destination for them, but oftentimes it is. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think that. Um, I do think that when we bring talent here from away, and I'm talking about both, um, you know, young people coming fresh out of school for which I know that we have in the past, we've been like the first, you know, somebody who's like, you know, 22, 23 years old coming out of school and we're their, you know, their first ever employer in a real job. Um, and they come and they have a sense of comfort. And um, I think that just Halifax is a is a fairly easy city um, to live in. And, and in particular, when you're younger and getting into a profession, you know, the, the last thing that you want is living in a place that's difficult and you got to commute for who knows how long to get to work. Mm-hmm. And here it's a, it's a, a small enough place that it's pretty easy to get around and there's access to a lot of activities. And so um, it's a good community in that regard. Mm-hmm. It is. I mean, it has everything you need. I mean, for me, the draw was uh, a different pace in life. Like the bigger cities are a lot faster, a lot more demanding. I find um, the work-life balance in here is a lot more manageable. Mm-hmm. For my stage in my career, I kind of want that. I mean, it's different when you're in your twenties and you're, you know, you'll do whatever it takes. But you get to a point where you're like, all right, I need some more work-life balance. You have a family, you have kids, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So um, it was a good choice for me, mm-hmm. for sure. And definitely in that situation, like the last thing you want to be doing is spending three hours a day commuting. Oh yeah, I don't miss commuting in Toronto, and yeah. I lived in Toronto, and it was terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's it's great when you can walk a lot of places, yes, most everywhere. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Although, I mean, if you are working with a lot of folks, you're saying you know folks coming straight out of school almost. I mean, they are grown up, educated people, but said um, as an employer, put you in a uh, a particular position where you're kind of you're the first work experience they've had. And um, is there a sort of, I don't know, caretaking or 
other role that you have to play in in nurturing that talent and helping them along or oh yeah to keep them no I, I, absolutely uh, absolutely I mean and for me I I am um, being in a position where you're in control of what kind of professional environment you can you can offer somebody um, particularly as an artist um, you know when uh, when the studio was DHX studio and and uh, I was um, I came here seven years ago and I was overhauling the, you know, the, the studio at that time. My goal was to create a studio that I would want to work at mm. as an artist, a place that I would feel comfortable in. Um, and it's kind of that balance of being a little bit laid back in some areas, but also being quite rigid in, in others. Like you have to sort of... Um, well, like in any in any collaborative art form, like as an you know as an actor, you know that sort of a medium quality actor will rise to the level of a better quality actor if they're in a scene together, and it's the same with with artists. Uh, you know, in an animation studio, if you have like a new uh, a new animator that comes in and they're working with somebody who's you know more experienced and and. Um, you know, a, a, a talent not not necessarily being a factor, but certainly experience and and how they approach their work. And you have somebody that comes in and they're new. Mm. Well, they're going to want to rise to the level of the the people that they're with. So, you know, being able to offer being able to offer a place where that's the important thing for them to focus on, and other things can be a little more laid back, and you can sort of offer an environment that people can be comfortable in is. Um, you know, was the type of thing that I thought was really quite important. And then having a system there that just says, you know, hey, look, this, you know, s simple things like, you know, people sometimes it's their first time living away from home even. And so you want to try and make those things easy. It's one of the reasons why, like two of the, two of the biggest studios in Halifax are both right downtown. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons for that uh, in both cases. So we're one of them. And then uh, Copernicus is another one. And I know the reasons for that is to um, facilitate artists coming from away to be able to have ease of access to their place of work that they can, if, you know, they can either walk or if they a little bit live a little further away, it's easy for them to get a bus. And, mm -hmm. you know, you don't have to buy a car. You don't have to, you know, travel very far in order to get there. So trying to make that a little easier I think was really important for us. Mm. And yet it's funny because if you're not already somehow involved in, in this community or in the industry, you may not know that both of those studios are right downtown. Oh, no. I mean, yeah. lots of people around around the city don't, aren't even aware. They're aware that these places exist and that they're somewhere. Maybe they assume they're in Burnside or somewhere, but, you know, you could just walk right by uh, either studio and you could walk into Park Lane and you could walk down Barrington Street and you would have no idea, right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I wonder if there are other misconceptions people have about the local industry or about just animation work uh, in general. What do you think some of those misconceptions might be? Um, one of them is the amount of people that it takes to actually produce a television episode, like just an 11-minute episode. How many the, people does it take? It depends on the show, but um, 100 plus people could be even even more, up to 200, depending on complication like how complicated this show is mm. and um just to get one episode out the door is about three months of work and that's just 11 minutes so three months of work 100 to 200 people yeah 11 minutes yeah it's a lot and yeah. that doesn't include the script no it's right not or the, the development. that's just like the production or, 
Yeah. Yeah. That's just once it's greenlit and you've got scripts and you're ready to go. Mm-hmm. So. Thing, I will never tell my intro students that at NASCAD because I try to make them pump out as much as possible in a four-month term. And they do. They do a great job. But um, yeah, I mean, 11 minutes in three months sounds luxurious in some ways, but it's very complicated work, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's a couple of misconceptions that that people have. One is I think that people think that when when you're working in animation that the animators come in and they just sort of do whatever they want. Like right. that. They're, they're, they're just express themselves as an artist and they do that. And in an independent sense, like if you're working independently, it's 100% that. It's a medium through which you can express your thoughts and ideas and your feelings and everything like that. But in a professional environment, you know, you create... The, the, funny, the funny thing is, is in a professional environment, you're expected to give your creativity 100%. You have to be completely passionate and and fully deliver on every ounce of creativity that you have. But the thing is, is that you're also meeting the needs of a person who's who you know who who's a client who's who's writing mm-hmm. you know who's basically paying you, and that person might be paying you for a very specific result. So while you you know and and so in some ways there's like you know you're you're operating within a uh, a very specific um, set of parameters. But the real um, goal then is to just throw all of your creativity and all of your passion and all of everything and like find the little things that you absolutely love within the scope of of what you're being asked to do. Because mm. if you don't do that, you know, number one, you're not going to enjoy it. Right. Uh, first and foremost, you're, you're going to let yourself down. And secondly, it's going to show, your final work is going to show the people that are paying you are going to see that you're really not able to deliver on you know what you're capable of. Yeah. So, um, you know that's the, the. I think, you know that. Like I said, a lot of people think you just do whatever you want, but you don't. You really are are very specifically given a task, and you have to do that task. But you, you really do find the joy in the you know the the details of the labor that you're doing, um, and I think. Um, Oh, there was something I just yeah. give me a second. It, it's a different kind of rigor. I mean, both whether you're independent or not, it's very rigorous work. But it seems like the the kind of rigor that that work demands is is different according to the setting. Yeah, yeah. Production schedules can be very demanding. Clients can be very demanding. Um, and you're working on multiple shows at a time, so mm-hmm. it's not like we're just working on the one eleven minute. There are multiple episodes being worked on at various stages so mm-hmm. it's it's a juggling act for sure but it's a fun juggling act yeah. well, we were talking <laughs> juggling earlier is fun. <laughs> we were talking about it earlier today and saying like it's one of those things that um you know you really do have to you have to love it you have to be passionate about it because there are times when the parameters that you're working in can be very difficult and you can you know it, it can be that you're working with a difficult client Right, and that's that's common in a lot of industries. It's not unique to animation by any stretch of the imagination. You can be working with a difficult client, or there can be you know frustrations by not having enough time to you know to to polish the results of your work to the to the level that you really wish you could. And for artists, that's always frustrating. Is not you know having to give up on you know your your work before you feel that it's ready. So operating in those parameters can be difficult. And um, you know, we we've had our Linda and, Linda and I have certainly had our fair share of very difficult projects, but then when you stand back and you see the results, 
and they make you smile or they make you laugh you know the, and and you see how beautiful something is that you've been a part of then it's just all worthwhile because you're like wow isn't that great doesn't you know look at that wonderful thing that we made mm, um, as a team too yeah yeah and then you kind of forget about you do the, forget yeah you do forget it's good yeah. <laughs> Sometimes that's useful. You have to forget. I mean, it's, you know, every production is going to have its own problems and challenges and um, you get through it and the end result is always your goal. And when it's successful, you forget about how hard it was to get there. It's mm. part of loving what you do. Like it's, it's just in you. Um, and a lot of people might not readily understand what the role of a producer is in all of this. Can you talk a little bit about what you do as a producer? Sure. You, you're usually brought in at the beginning of production. Um, you help create the production schedule and you work with the budget that the client ultimately has to approve. And you are involved in the hiring of the team. So of all the different departments. And then you follow through throughout the production to make sure everything runs smoothly till the bitter end, which again is a juggling act. And you have to make sure you stay on time, you stay on budget, you have to raise flags when things are going away, keep the client happy, keep your team happy. It's it's a big job, but it's a fun job. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think that for producers, the <clears throat> like Linda says, you get called in to build a build a budget and schedule. And a lot of that comes from well, in Linda's case, she were you were an artist. You yeah. were you were an animator, as was I. And so you look at things in the production schedule and you go, well, I know that to do this part of production, like for example, you know, scripts, you can sit there and go, well, if we have a script schedule that is eight weeks long, this is what this means. This is how many revisions we can do versus 10 or 12 weeks. And then, you know, you, you talk about the results that you want to get to so go, okay, well, we figure that it should be maybe 12 weeks for this. And then you'll go to the next stage, which will be, you know, design or storyboards. And then you'll say, well, that should be this many weeks in the next phase until you get to animation. You're like, well, animation should be this many weeks and this many people. And invariably you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> invariably something that you've planned that you've done hundreds of times before won't turn out the way you planned. And then you wind up, you know, troubleshooting it. So you so you know you're the one as the producer you're the one that makes the plan and then you're the one responsible for troubleshooting it all along the way. Sounds so. like no matter what you still have to be creative because that'll be a lot of creative problem solving I imagine. It is especially for a first season show. I mean once you know you do your first season and you get another order for a second it makes mm. it much easier but there's always challenges and and you don't know where in the production those challenges will hit like it's you think it's going to happen in one place and then and the show, it's like a completely different place. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. I mean, that's what makes it fun because every single show is different. Like nothing is the same, which mm -hmm. is what I love. Yeah. For sure. I was thinking about how, um, you know, well, we have at the festival coming up, right? One of the events we have is like last year, the Saturday morning cartoons, right? Which is a big event at the library. And so this year it'll be um, Saturday May 11th uh, at the library, at the Halifax Central Library in the morning. Um, it's a drop-in sort of thing too, right? Um, Philip, you were involved with that last year, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How was it? Oh, it was great. It was so much fun. And I mean, you know, um, I think for people, like I grew up in the 70s and, 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 you know, I think for people who also grew up in the 80s into the early 90s are used to that 
notion of getting up on Saturday morning to watch cartoons. It sort of wasn't until the mid 90s that there were entire channels on television dedicated to animation and kids programming mm-hmm. 24-7. So like as a kid, if I wanted to watch cartoons, the options were Saturday morning or like Sunday evening watching Disney. Yeah. Um, and um, and there's a certain, you know, warmth and nostalgia around getting up on Saturday morning and watching cartoons. And that's, you know, last year for the for AFX, we that's what we wanted to recreate as a um, uh, a family event and have kids and parents come to the, you know, come out and watch cartoons and specifically cartoons that were made here in Halifax is really what the, the goal was. And it was great. It was mm-hmm. really great. We had like, I don't remember the exact number, but it was, you know, coming close to 200 people. A couple hundred people. Yeah, that showed up. Like and, the amount of people that it takes to make 11 minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, so obviously like that struck a chord with a lot of people that idea of Saturday morning. And I, I mean, I get really nostalgic about that too as a yeah. child of the 80s, for sure. Um, and and I mean, I know there are lots of uh, different ways that we can engage with animation nowadays and lots of ways people talk about animation and um, the way things are delivered, like you're saying. But, um, you know, like I, I I think often about this question, like what, what do you think is the enduring appeal of a cartoon? It's, I didn't actually give you that question before, so I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I just thought of it too. I was like, "Yeah, what is it? You know, what is it about a cartoon that is just it endures? You know, like we still want to see like and you know an 11 minute story or there's a there's something to it. What do you what do you think? Oh, that's a good question. It is really good. I don't know. I mean, sorry. it depends on the the animation. I mean, sometimes it's the fantasy part of it. Like you just can't get that anywhere else. I mean, even, you know, with the blockbuster movies, I mean, they're using 3D animation and everything to make it that spectacular look, which isn't real anywhere. Mm. So I think it's that that want of something that just you can't go and see or find somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the, I mean, that's what I was thinking too. It's about possibility. Yeah. You know? And it is endless, really. Yeah. It's just based on your imagination. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it's funny too, because we were... um something else we were chatting about earlier and um you know one of the things which is really funny uh you know disney's got all these re-releases of their older animated movies come out in you know quote unquote live action versions of these movies right right but they're really like 90 percent animated it's just much more expensive animation so right. I mean, like the new lion king that's coming out it's fully animated. There's no <laughs> real talking lions that they've got. They're just extremely um, realistic looking animated They're lions. They're not talking lions? Well, oh, they are. They're they so are. disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> and just find the best talking lions out there. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. It, it is funny how much um, of what we consider live action film is actually animation. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Yeah. You probably don't realize how much. Like even matte paintings are done in cities and you think it's a real place, but it's actually, there's a matte painting behind all those buildings and this actual place doesn't exist. For people but you wouldn't outside know. of that, like what what is a matte painting for people listening who might not know? Sure. So that's just painting a additional like cityscape or a um, more fantasy uh, background in a shot. So you'd have your main buildings in New York, for example, but then further back from those iconic buildings, you'd see 
a wasteland or something yeah. like that, depending <laughs> if it's the end of so the world or whatever it is. That's where my mind went too when you were describing that for some reason. Well, yeah. like, so say for example, you're doing a superhero movie and the superheroes are based in New York City and they have a giant building that's their headquarters that has a big logo on it. And you, you know, shoot a picture of New York City with that building in it. Well, that building isn't real. What? So you would create that. <laughs> you might, you know, you might create that as a, as a map painting. So it'd be just a painting mm -hmm. that then gets composited with the real um, cityscape to, in, mm -hmm. you know, to enhance the cityscape. Yeah. Some, sometimes so they're done as a flat painting. Sometimes they're done partially as a painting, partially as 3D models. The technique called two and a half D, which is kind of funny. Um, <laughs> But uh, there, there's, you know, there's just so much that, so much technique that comes from the world of animation that is now enhancing live action to the point that the the lines are so blurred, literally and figuratively, that, you know, where where the possibilities, that enduring possibility of animation being being able to do almost anything, um, is now filtering into the way people are telling stories with the quote unquote live action. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, cinema. Which is kind of funny when you think of the beginning of cinema because the beginning of cinema was animation yeah. in a lot yeah. of cases. So <laughs> kind of come full circle. Um, but thinking towards the future then, like um, where would you like to see things go in terms of the industry? Like what are some things you've thought about or that you've seen that you look at and you're like, ah, that is the future of animation. Oh, Phil knows this one. Oh, yeah, I think... <laughs> Tell us the future, Phil. <laughs> well, I, there, there's a lot. Well, I mean, in the last sort of five years, there's been a huge shift in how people consume visual content, right? People don't... So many people now, this phrase, cut, cut the cord, cutting the cord, right? So now people are watching, you know, Netflix or YouTube or these, you know, similar type things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really uh, only a matter of time before the technology shifts yet again. And there are, you know, right now there's technology, augmented reality, virtual reality technology. And most of the world now looks at that as um, uh, gaming. They look, they look at augmented reality or virtual reality as something associated with gaming. But if you imagine... You know, if you imagine going to a play, you imagine them like when I was a kid. And one of the reasons why I believe I got into this industry, I would say two, two, two reasons that I got into this industry. One was that as a kid, I loved, you know, watching cartoons and, and, and they, it was something that was very important to me. And two, I loved theater. Mm. And, uh, and when you go see theater, the fact that it's right there in front of you and it's real and there's people right there, um, telling you a story and bringing you into their world uh, with, you know, incredible actors who might not, like, there might not even be a set and they might not even have decent costumes or props, but yet somehow they're able to transport you somewhere. Well, I mean, imagine if you were able to just simply put on a, a headset and be, you know, in the middle of watching the Battle of Agincourt and Shakespeare's Henry V. What about if that was going on all around you? I mean, how incredible would that be? And there are tons of stories that could be told to bring people into the into the midst of those kinds of fantasy worlds um, or historical settings um, and being able to tell you a story as a part of it that I think we haven't even, you know, we haven't even touched on that. 
and in order to do that, it's really going to be, be I mean, the, the possibilities there are really in the realm of, of animation. Mm. Do you see do you see some of the studios here, perhaps your own getting into work like that, or are you already doing that? Oh, I sure hope so. Yeah. 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 I'd love I mean, I I don't know that the technology is quite up to scratch. Well, the technology is certainly there. It's certainly possible to create that kind of thing right now, right? There's not no barrier to creating it. The barrier is on the consumer side mm-hmm. because you know how many people have a vir- you know virtual reality rig at home? Mm-hmm. Very very few, um, because right now they're quite expensive. And I mean I think on the cheaper side right now, one of the more accessible consumer virtual reality setups is with I think a PlayStation, and even that is like seven eight hundred dollars or something. I mean I could yeah. you know my kid just asked me for one. He's like you know mom, there's this thing called virtual reality. It'd be really cool if we could get. Yeah. <laughs> but there are expensive. lounges, like there are places around town where you can actually go to consume these oh, things, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's becoming more and more prevalent as yeah. well. So, you know, and as that technology does become more accessible, then the demand for content for that is going to become more, uh, you know, uh, greater. Mm. So, um, and I, I mean, I, is <laughs> the thing for me, and I've tried virtual reality and in general, I don't like it as a game because I don't, the movement, it doesn't feel natural because it's whatever. But if all I had to do was sit there and look around at stuff going on around me, um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be more than willing to do that. If it was a great story and mm-hmm. amazing visuals, I think it'd be wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stories endure, don't they? Like we come back to the idea of a story, even if you can break it out into space or do something different that's not linear. We still like stories, right? Absolutely. I mean, the really success of a of a series, animated series, is is the writing. Like, yeah. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to have the most beautiful animation. I mean, some of the most successful TV series, they don't look the best, but the writing is just ridiculous. I mean, look at The Simpsons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The way it first started, too. If you saw the very first few seasons, the animation was very different. Oh yeah, and the character design was so different too. Like, they yeah. just all look weird and haggard. Yeah. 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 Yeah, um, that's amazing. Um, any anything else you see sort of coming down the pipe for you? What's what's next for Island of Misfits? Oh, we've got a lot of things uh, happening right now. We're, I mean, largely we're we're really focused on um, developing new things, um, and uh, you know, I'm not really at liberty to talk about too much of it, but we are really focused on. Uh, creating and generating original stories, um, uh, and and uh, and making them and telling the stories from here, and and it's across the board. It's really big, you know, um, big budget TV series to really small sort of short films and things. So it runs the gamut of, of 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 you know across all of those things and a few things in between. Amazing, that's great. Thank you so much for coming in today. Our pleasure. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. Um, uh, we've been talking with Philip Stamp, creative director at uh, independent production company Island of Misfits, as well as Linda Craigmile, animation producer at Island, Island of Misfits. And um, both are here to support us at the uh, um, Animation Festival of Halifax. What is this festival called? Yeah, I remember. Uh, so uh, we hope everybody will come out to AFX 2019 Saturday morning cartoons part of the fun, free, at the uh, Apollo Regan Hall in the Halifax Central Library, Saturday morning, serial provided. Um, you've been listening to 
Banana Fish, the official podcast of AFX, the animation festival of Halifax, where art and industry like to come and play nicely together. Um, this is where we come together to celebrate the art, the industry, and everything in between. To find out more about AFX, go to anifx.ca. That's anifx.ca. And while you're there, why don't you check out everything else that Carbon Arc Cinema has to offer? We'll see you next time. This was a Village Soundcast Network original production. 